National Fire Radio. National Fire Radio presents. I wish my head could forget what my eyes have seen. Ten years ago, the groundbreaking firefighting movie Burned took audiences closer than they'd ever been. Into the fires and into the lives of the men who fight them. Ten years in the making, the long-awaited follow-up is finally here. The workload has increased and manpower has decreased. Burn X explores stories and characters you've never seen before and continues the journey for many of the Detroit firefighters you met in the first film. Fire class, 2019. Yes, Order your two-disc ultimate edition of Burn X on DVD and Blu-ray at burnstore.com or get it for streaming and download on iTunes, Apple TV, Amazon, Google Play, and Voodoo. What is a man's worth that doesn't make the world a better place? Taylor's Tins, one of the best there is. A good friend of ours and supporter of National Fire Radio. He comes up first in a lineup of sponsors because he means that much to me. Taylor's been with us from day one. I hit him up on day one and said, brother, I love your shield. I love what it represents. I'd like to give them out to all of our podcast guests. And from day one, almost five years ago, we've been issuing Taylor's Tins to all of our guests as a keepsake and recognition for their willingness to share some time and their story with us in our community at National Fire Radio. These aluminum helmet fronts, they change the market. They're revolutionary in what they do. Even if you're a traditionalist with the leather shield, the aluminum shield offers so much when it comes to durability, cleanliness, decon, they can do it all with the aluminum shield. Their customer service, let's talk about that for a minute, where things usually take several weeks now to get your hands on them from the from conception to manufacturing process and out the door and onto your helmet. Taylor can turn around orders within 48 hours, whether it's a 500-piece shield order for your department or a one-off customized shield. Taylor's doing them, and he's doing them within 48 hours, and they're getting out the door. It's not just helmet shields. Nope, there's more. They got locker tags, carbon monoxide meter, you know, data sheets. They have pump data sheets, pump tags, locker tags, street signs, banquet gifts. You name it, the list goes on and on. Check them out at taylorstins.com. That's where they conduct business. You can hit them up on the chat right there. They walk you through the process of designing your custom Taylor's Tin from the website. So go to taylorstins.com, check them out. They represent the very best of what the American Fire Service is all about, and I'm proud to have them as a sponsor of the National Fire Radio platform. And in the words of Taylor and his crew, stop burning up leather. Hey, everybody, Jeremy, National Fire Radio. We're back with another podcast episode today. Mike O'Hare, this this guy. Let's talk about Mike. Mike, we're gonna I'm gonna talk about you for a minute. So hang on. Met him through uh, mutual friends as we did the. Uh, I think the first time we met was in Texas. Joey D, I believe, um, uh, and you, my friend, left a lasting impression on me when we first met. You had a ponytail, probably what twelve inches off the back of your head. We don't talk about that. Ah! <laughs> That was it was cool because I was I was seeing this guy that was like totally dialed in but didn't you know with the ponytail and so on just didn't really like look that part if you will and and then getting to know you and watching you on the fire ground and with your technical aspect of the job and we're gonna hop into all that it was so much fun 
to really get to know you and learn who you are uh, and then to see how dedicated and driven you are for the job. And uh, and so, brother, it is an absolute honor to have you on today. A little background, 29 years in the fire service, 16 years in the volunteers, 22 years with the city of Houston, Texas, and the last 14 years has been with the special services, uh, the rescue companies, and now you are the rescue training officer for the city of Houston, which I can only imagine is no small feat or job for you. Well, they make it good for me. They make it good for you. Well, talk about it, man. I mean, how did you find your way, I guess, weaving the conversation from day one into the fire service to finding yourself as the guy that is setting up training and protocol for the rescue companies in the city of Houston, which is one of the largest fire departments in the country. How did you find yourself to get to that position, man? I was around the right people. I had the right people to look up to. I had people that held me accountable. Uh, when I started volunteering, I was still in high school. And, and well, you know what? There was no pass, no play in the fire department. Not really the department's rules. The uh, captain of, at the time was a paid fireman from Sugarland who was, uh, ended up being my brother-in-law hmm. later on. Yep. And um, you know what? If I got a D, I wasn't playing in the fire department anymore. Is that right? So he held me accountable and and uh, he really pushed the training aspect and, and how how that will affect the team. And um, it's almost one of those things where if you have a bad egg and everyone trains, one of two things is going to happen. That egg becomes a good egg or they leave, but the team got stronger along the way. So training was always big. Dive into that. Why does the team get stronger? Well, they have to work as a team. You're not isolating that individual. Um, they're going to gain. So if you're constantly pushing the team uh, to, to the highest level that you can, the person that's kind of lacking is going to rise to that occasion. And I'm tired of people training to the weakest link. It's like Groundhog Day. We're doing the same thing yeah. over and over again, over and over again, because we want that weakest link to grow. Now the whole team's held back because you're not pushing them. I say push them. Push the guys that are at the top to their limit and see if the guys underneath see that they're lacking and rise to the occasion. That that's powerful, right? Because I, I think that that is uh, well. You're you're why do okay, man? I'm trying to unpack all that. What you just said was really powerful. Push our best people to be better, and the rest should follow. Correct? I'd hope so. You'd absolutely right. Like that is the ideal situation, and especially in your discipline of technical rescue, right? I mean, you know, you're looking at bringing forth a whole nother. Uh, you know, several levels of training, which is more schooling, more hands-on, more discipline, more uh, narrow in your approach, like all these different things compared to just standard fire, structural firefighting, right? And you need the best of the best. A program needs to be able to focus on being the best. I agree. So how do we do that? Because it's easier said than done, like pushing our best to be better and wanting the rank and file to follow, that is not the case in most places. It is, we have, we have dumbed ourselves down to a place where we're more worried about the guy on the bottom making those minimums and trying to get them up a level. And in doing that, we kind of, 
soften or dumb down the approach for the guys that are hardcore and into it. Where do we find how do how do we do this, Mike? Uh, probably, you know, with the basics. When 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 it hits the fan and people re- resort back to the muscle memory, that's when you're going to get their best in that moment. And uh, I think everything from checking out your pack, you know, you, you want it aligned to where your, your pass device buttons are on the right and your, um, your regulators on the left. You check it on the truck the opposite direction, you lose some of the muscle memory. It's little things like that that you do over and over again the right way so that while you're wearing it or you come up to a down firefighter wearing it, you know where to find that stuff without being able to see it. And those little things go a long way all the way into the special services. The basics make a difference. Now, one of the things that we do is something as simple as extrications on cars. Um, you know, the junkyard techniques overran the industry. We're doing things, all these relief cuts and all this other stuff to make this extrication go. And then you see these guys on a real wrecked car go through all those extra steps that aren't necessary. Those, those metals in a, in a wreck, if the dash is pushed back on somebody, that's weak metal. Push it back where it came from. Reverse the accident. You didn't do that without the relief cuts. They're, they're skipping that step and resolving an issue and going through 15 more steps to make this perfect lift or roll with the dash, and they could have gotten somebody out already. So I'm trying to bring things like that back into reality and running through the muscle memory of that, um, the muscle memory of what you get off, uh, off the truck when you get off and, and do the job. You know, the guy that sits behind the officer, is he, he's, he's the one that's pulling the hose. Well, the other guy's in charge of the plugs. Well, you're on a rescue truck or you're on a ladder truck and you're on a different type of call. Does, does somebody know when they step off the truck, they're on the spreader? The other guy's on the cutters or... Um, somebody doing the the cribbing or chalks you know muscle memory has to start from the truck out and and that gets the job rolling a a whole lot faster if we're going to a trench well probably shouldn't be on the edge of the trench without ground pads so make that the first step you you come off with ground pads and a measuring tape and figure out what's going on now the ball's rolling you've done something you know you want to go to the job with tools and equipment to get the job started and that comes with muscle memory and, and and deploying your people in training off the truck instead of laying all the equipment out and saying, okay, well, here's what's going on. Let's team up. Here's what the plan is. And now it's a class and not anywhere close to reality. Wow. I, so much of this I'm enjoying right now. I'm actually just sitting back grinning ear to ear. When you talked about, I just want to take it back a, a minute ago when you were talking about training and extrication training and, and cars in the field are different than the junkyard. And then getting to that trend, like, all of that, that what you just said in the last few minutes is super impactful because I think we've lost sight of that. Like I, I think about like in my own world and I think about what I've seen out there and the classes guys put forward and nobody is, nobody is saying what you just said. I'm not seeing it. Uh, I haven't seen it in any of the classes. I try to bring it to the classes and yeah. I'm hoping that, that that'll spread out. So you're now in a position where you can influence change or you can influence procedure, guideline, operations, tactics, right? I mean, you now as the rescue training officer for the city of Houston, 
I mean, you're you're involved in curriculum. You're involved in daily training. You're involved in making your people succeed, right? What I'm is that? Slightly involved in making waves. Slightly involved in making waves. Well, break that yeah. down for me because I'd like to think that you have more, a little more pull than that. Um, you know, there was a while before we had struts that that we just did without them. And then all of a sudden everyone had struts and we're throwing up on every car that's sitting on its side. That's not going to go anywhere for a hundred years if we don't force it over. So, um, I'm trying to bring them back down to a little bit of the basics and understanding that every scene you got to size up. And if you can size up that vehicle on its side and realize it's not going anywhere, well, maybe some wedges or step chalks would be good enough, you know, get to get to work on bringing that person from the accident. And then bring the strut up later so it looks good. Are uh, we are we overcomplicating? Absolutely. Our job today. Yeah, we are. Where does that come from? Uh, new toys. Got to put them to use. Um, hey, it is safer in in some aspect, and I don't know. Um, there are going to be times where it's definitely necessary. You're on the embankment of a freeway or um, some other sloped area. Yeah, it's going to be a bigger issue. So it's good to have, and it's good to understand how to use it. But how it became implemented on every call with the vehicle on a side or upside down is, is beyond me. I'm not sure why. Damn. I, so. <laughs> I love what a wow. So, uh, okay. So, I mean, so in the position that you're in now, then to be able to break this back down to the, to the original foundation, I mean, 29 years in a fire service, Mike, you were. You were involved hands-on as that kid who had to get good grades to be able to ride the fire truck. Things were a lot simpler then, right? I mean, I just did an Instagram post before where I said, you know, simpler times were simpler apparatus, right? And we've gotten complicated in our approach and in our builds and in the way we operate. And I think we do get caught up in all that. And you said before, new, you know, new toys. I get that. And I think that new toys maybe address some situations, but I also see a lot of equipment that we're putting on our trucks that are just redundant in, in the approach. Right. I mean, and so that's where I think the basics truly, truly matter. So talk to me a little bit then about in Houston, the process of bringing forth somebody into the, the special services sector, like in onto a rescue company. What, what does that look like? How does, how does, how do you, because you have to invest. I mean, you really have to invest a lot into your people, right? When you have to take on all these different disciplines and learn all of these aspects of the, of the technical rescue job, there's a, there's a massive investment from the city of Houston, yourself and your people to teach, right? Absolutely. Um, well, we bring them on, um, after a small process of vetting them, mm-hmm. um, they'll su- submit their, um, all their employee evaluations and maybe a resume. And if they have any background, you know, it's, it's hard to get somebody in rescue that can't hit a nail with a hammer. Um, <laughs> so we, we run them through a little swim test to make sure they can swim. There's other things we would love to bring in there to say, Hey, you know what? You've got to be able to do this too. Cause we want somebody that can function. Um, we're not always going to have the nail gun. We're not always going to have these other things available to us. Sure. Let's, let's see that people know how to, you know what, a mechanic, somebody that can break something down and put it back together. How awesome is that when you have a, a machinery extrication where you can go to the next machine that's exactly the same while they're, everybody's worrying about trying to figure out how to get this person free. And you can go over there and see how to disassemble it without them there. Yeah. And then walk over and, and come in and say, hey, you know what, this releases 
they're free. You know, there's that type of uh, ability to put things together and, and foresee how it's going to uh, pan out. That stuff is, is, is big. So it's nice to see if we can get people like that on the team to begin with. Um, there used to be a three month internship. You'd go onto the shift that you've, uh, that you've been awarded um, and it's based on time and rank. So once you're done with that four months of class, we cover everything we can on that. I mean, sorry, four weeks of class, we cover everything we can on that. And then they can get in based on their time and rank and when there's openings. Okay. So when they come on, they used to be three months. They don't count as manpower right off the bat. Got it. But they're only seeing that one crew or that one shift for the most part, and they're learning their way. Um, the city didn't like the three months of them not counting as manpower. We bumped it down to one month of manpower, but we put them on a 40-hour work week. So this day, I know this crew's best at RIT. I'm going to send them over there when we're covering RIT. This other day, I know this crew's excellent with big rig extrication. I'm going to send them with that when we're doing big rig extrication. We got somebody that's great with ropes. We're going to run them with that. I, and, and I'm going to kind of go through the process with them and make sure that they're up to par, but I'm also going to turn them loose with the crews so that they can all work together and get to know who's coming on the team. We're, yeah. we're limited to just about 60 guys on the team, uh, four shifts, three trucks, and we kind of have the benefit of knowing who we're working with from then on out. It's a closed shop. So yeah. mm -hmm. when we want to focus on something, um, it's, it's easy to get the whole group on page. So, but, so we go, uh, four weeks now with them, uh, on the 40 hour work week, and then they get to see a little bit from each crew and get to know everybody. And then they're, they're released on the truck. Okay. And then from there, I mean, it, it's continuing education, obviously. Um, and all the rescue companies that I know that are in major urban settings and cities and so on are training literally every day, all day. Well, not always. Well, no, but I mean that in like in-service training on the road. Like it's not, it, it is a disciplined function within that, you know, there is so much and and I don't I don't mean that like every second of the day, right? But there is a tremendous focus on training because of the amount of different disciplines that have to be mastered, if you will, or right. or be a student right. of, right? How yeah. do, and uh, mm -hmm. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, how do you put together that type of structure then, where bringing in new people into the rescue companies, uh, and and really facilitating that kind of culture, if you will, like Mario Badillo, right? He's a, he's a friend of yours. He was on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, and we were laughing about you. Your name came up in his episode, but he said, listen, man, I enjoy being a senior guy in the back step of the rescue because somebody's got to, somebody's got to be there to help the officer train these, these new guys coming up and through. Right. And so absolutely, how do you like, and to me, that was, that was really like a powerful moment. I had a lot of people reach out to me after that episode and talk about Mario and ask about like, and, and mention how impactful that was, that it was a guy that was making that conscious decision to stay in, in that position so that he can better the company and, and allow for himself to offer his experience to that guy that's sitting next to him in the rear of the rig. Most people aren't that way. Right. We, we have a, a really good culture there. Yeah. Um, you know, you could take the best firefighter from any district and put them on rescue, and the guys that he just left are going to think there's something wrong with them or that he can't fight fire or he's scared of something. 
And the guy that comes over is going to turn around and look at the crew he just left and think he's smarter than them. And we knock that out right off the bat. Yeah. We're the same guys. We want to be seeing the same. We can do the same job. We just have more uh, focus on these particular areas now. So once we get the ego out, man, it, it runs great. Now we, we turn uh, the command, you know, the structure upside down a little bit because our most senior man on, on a technical uh, structural collapse or trench or something like that might be the firefighter that's going in and doing the work. Right. And they're turning around and telling the officers what they need. And these officers are turning around and telling the chief what we need. And we kind of only have those officers in the middle to buffer it out because some of those chiefs do not like being told from the firefighter what we need. Right. But, man, those guys have the answers. They've been there and done that. And yeah. sometimes as, as guys move in and out of rescue, um, you know, they might have a whole lot more experience and, and the answers for that moment. And we listen to them. The officers know who to listen to. And it, it doesn't hurt any, any feelings. There's no egos there. We're listening to the guy that knows what to say. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah you have to. I mean, it, it's got to be structured that way. So what is it for you? I mean, to be able to come up through the rescue companies and, and um, I'm sorry, I should, I should have asked you what cat, what rank are you now? Are you captain? Are you, captain. Okay. That's what I thought. My guy, I just didn't want to say it without knowing for sure. So as a captain coming up through the rescue companies, right. For 14 years, I mean, you've had to be involved in a lot of uh, Houston's a busy town, man. There's a lot of work mm -hmm. happening there, right? And it's not just all fire duty. There is a lot of technical rescue stuff that's happening in the city as well, correct? There is. Um, a lot of a lot of trucking, a lot of shipping. Yeah. Uh, we we have a, quite a few accidents over there. Uh, I, I spent the, the majority of the time driving uh, an excellent crew, an excellent captain, David Quintas. Um, you know, he, he told me when he came over, I, I was there a little bit before he moved over. He was in rescue before me but in different station, everything. But when he made captain and came over, uh, he said, we can make a difference every day on a fire ground because the rescues don't always happen. We're not going to get the prime time save on the side of a building all the time. We're not going to have trenches all the time, but we can make a difference every day on a fire ground. And, and it changed my tune. You know, we, we can train on these things. Uh, we can train on the ropes. We can train on the structural collapse. We can train on those things on, on a regular basis. But could we truly make a better difference every single day if when we show up on a scene, we are in, ensuring that the crews inside can get out? We're an extra company. We have the luxury of adding ourselves to those fires. Yeah. We're not dispatched on them unless there's reported people trapped or it upgrades. So if we just head off to one of the fires that got dispatched and we show up, we're an extra company and we got to do some good while we're there. And that's not standing in the front lawn. So... Uh, we, we would 360 a building, we'd take away any, we'd soften the structure, take away burglar devices, we'd vent inner search, we'd do whatever. We wouldn't affect flow path, we would communicate, we'd take care of utilities. Anything that, that we know the extra companies aren't doing yet, because, you know, on some of these calls, we're just a little shorthanded right off the bat. So if we can help get the ball rolling on those things, yeah, and then pop pop in, well, we can pop in and look at them and see the layout of the structure and what we saw from the outside, does it align with what's on the inside? Did they build it out and actually cover all these windows with storage? So um, it was very proactive with, with stuff like that. And 
and yeah, there's there's a lot of technical rescues. Um, there's a lot of things that we we need to be up to par on. Um, some pretty crazy things have happened. I'm sure. But but our our survival is is probably going to come from being valuable on a fire scene. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, Houston has had a tough stretch there for a while too. Um, you know, with with um, a few line of duties that uh, you know, line of duty deaths of of uh, you know firefighters, and and I know that uh, you know that that falls a lot on your companies as well. And so, I ask you then too, with all of that, is the importance of um, you know, writ and structural collapse and making a difference on the fire ground every single day, I think is just a, a really good focus, right? I mean, that is probably the bread and butter, the most common type of work that you guys are going to are structural fires or, you know, say auto accidents, things like that, cut jobs, right? And, and not so much the technical stuff. So it is super important to focus on, you know, firefighter safety, survival, softening buildings, things like that. I mean, that's that's got to be a big part of the program for you guys. It is. Yeah. And and training for the, you know, and when it comes down to the training, when we train for stuff like that, we, we train to failure. We we learn how to work as a team and travel as a team and you know, whether we're on a search line or something else, how to get in, how to orient the, the down firefighter and how to get them back out. And, uh, you know, when when we find a way that works, well, now we got to train and find a way that it doesn't work. We're not going to rely on the one way that we say works now out in the bay floor or uh, in, an, in the training academy when, when it's going to be something like a, a raptors on the floor that we're crawling over and yeah. low clearance that we're ducking under at the same time and that person doesn't drag the same. Yeah. So we, we try and make those things occur. Um, we build them. The, when we have the opportunity, we try and get that training to replicate something. Um, we talked about it before we, this takes away the what ifs, you know, if you talk about it, if I, if I do a training on the bay floor and then we say, well, what if this, what if that, what if that, that doesn't send any impression on some people and they may not be visualizing what you're visualizing. And the only way to get the most out of any training is minimize the what ifs, show them what they're dealing with and let them tackle that. Let them tackle what you've presented them. And if it's dragging across the bay floor, you'll be disappointed when you're in a real call and needing to pull somebody out. That is so powerful. We did talk about that before we started going. We were talking about a couple of things we wanted to focus on. And, and the one that really struck a chord with me was minimizing the what ifs. I We do it all the time, whether it's classroom or on hands-on training evolutions or, or, you know, just conversation. We're always, what if, what if, right? And we're not training to the reality we're, we're always worried about that one-off instead of the 99% we're worried about that 1% all the time when it comes to training. Why are we so conditioned to do that? Mike? I think it takes you out of uh, physically doing the work. If you're, you're sitting around talking about it, um, it takes somebody out of actually uh, performing it. I, I think this is another thing we, we could watch something on YouTube and in my mind, I know how to do it now. But until I put my body into it, I may not truly do, know how to do it or, or do it right. Or yeah. I won't have come across a problem that now I have to find a solution to on the fly. Um, we're, there's a lot of smart people out there, and, and there's no doubt about that. But until your body's in line with what your mind thinks it can do, you're, you're barking up the wrong tree as far as real life. 
I couldn't agree with you more. I, I heard a conversation the other day on another podcast where they were talking about how people think they're tough and, and, <laughs> and it kind of, it's different than what it's, it's a different realm, but it puts it in perspective, right? Is everybody thinks they're tougher than they are. And I think it was Mike Tyson is you're only tough until you get punched in the face, right? Like everybody thinks they're tougher than they are. And you could, you could, you know, pick a fight with a guy that's half your size, a little quiet guy in the corner, but he might be a jujitsu master. Like you don't know. Right. And, and so I agree with you. I love how you put it that, you know, you could, you could learn from a YouTube video, but until your mind, you know, until your body catches up with your mind, like you, you, you haven't done it. You can't do it. Right. That's cool. That's powerful. I like that a lot. So we got to train to real life then. Right. So how do you set up your crews? How do you set up, the rescue division to train to real life scenario. What, like, what's your, how do you focus on that and get your people to buy into that type of mentality? Uh, I think, I think they're on board. Um, and, and when I was in the position of running to trainings that, that, uh, I didn't plan for that day, I, you know, you, you, you talk a little trash about it. And then at the end of it, you say, man, I'm glad we did that. We learned something new. Um, so I truly believe they're on board with it. They're a bunch of great guys and, and uh, gal on our team. Um, man, I, I, it doesn't seem that hard other than, hey, how can we get the material? How do we get the location? How do yeah. we find the acquired structure? Who do we contact to get this building before somebody bulldozes it? It's making sure that happens. Um, and, and that takes some legwork. And, um, you know, that's hard to do when, when you're involved in other places. Well, you got a culture of buy-in, right? I mean, your people right. are buying into what you guys have built, right? In that training culture to help support your rescue companies within the city of Houston. Let me, let me ask you this in, in all your years, 14 years in a rescue and in the years prior, um, just, you know, riding other companies, how much of your personal experiences, right? I mean, there's, there's, I'm sure you've had a lot, you know, different fires, situation, rescues. When you take all that, sit back in your chair and digest your career, how much of that comes forth in your teaching or conversations or, or drive to better your companies based on your own personal experiences? I mean, do you ever, do you sit back and think about those, um, those, those calls that have affected you? And then bringing that forth to, to the others in your, in your rescue division and saying, you know, I know I, I dealt with this. These are some situations and circumstances that I've had at prior runs and, and I want to share this with you and so on. I mean, is there a lot of that going on? A lot of your experience has shaped, you know, you, you in your division. Absolutely. Um, anything that's on the forefront of my mind at the time, if I'm covering this topic or that topic, anything that I can throw in, Hey, we learned this little technique on this call where now we can, now we can train on that. Um, it's hard though. Uh, sometimes discussing things with other people, people will talk about their experiences Yeah. and then, Oh crap. You know what? I remember the same thing from a different run. So it's hard to dig up some of those old scenes and calls all the time. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. Anything, any tip that worked in this area that I can, now put forth for them to train on. Uh, and then, Hey, you know what? Y'all have something y'all want to share with other people. Um, getting the, the, the four shifts kind of on the same page with some things is, has been really valuable because I can pick up what other people are learning and bringing back to the team and turn around and spread that. So I've always, 
uh, I have had a lot of experience being inexperienced. I, I went from volunteering <laughs> to to part time. I, I was para, became a paramedic 22 years ago. Um, I always wanted to have an answer, so I always had to go out and learn new things. And if somebody turned to me for something, I wanted to be able to answer the the, the question or the need or solve the problem. Um, so I've always kind of had to learn something new and I'll go to classes and teach brand new people. And the beauty of that is sometimes somebody just does something that makes sense. They, they work something a certain way and it just makes sense because they weren't stuck in a box that we've been stuck in. We're stuck in the box. Any teacher you go to that teaches anything, they teach their way. And sometimes now you're stuck in that box. So, um, I, I How try about, and keep that. Yeah, but being yeah. open-minded, right? Like, Absolutely. Like you said, you remember something of an aspect of a job that you had gone to, but the guy sitting across from you at the kitchen table that morning remembers that job but in a different way. It's nice to get both perspectives, right, because we're not locking in on one perspective then, and it's the same with teaching, right? I think we, I think guys get so hung up on how they deliver their message that they're not willing to listen to somebody else's similar message to see if they have something or a talking point or deliver on a message a little bit different than they did. And maybe it hits different for the, for the person listening. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen. I mean, I know the, the newest guy on the team may have something that, that's a value, but what I'll do is, is I'll challenge them. I'll, I'll straight up argue with them knowing that they're right. And I'll still argue with them until they get back into a corner and, and the fight is on. And then they release that piece of information that, Hey, you know what? This person does know what they're talking about. Hey, you're right. You are right. Sometimes they need that pressure to, to dig up what's been buried over a hundred times to come out fighting with the real answer that, that proves that they're right. And so sometimes I'll, I'll push people back into a corner knowing that they're right just so I can see them rise up. You got to cut people deep to see what's inside them sometimes. Oh, I love that, man. I am. <laughs> I love this. Absolutely, man. Push people to, be- and not only that, but it betters that individual, right? Like Absolutely. they, they're able to back, they, they're able to have an opinion based on their experiences. And Hey, I wasn't there for, with you during those experiences. So if you're going to say this, or you're going to tell me this is the way we should do it, you got to have some conviction in, in your belief. And I want to hear you. I want to hear you sell this to me. I'm going to push you to be stronger, better, and stronger-willed, right? Because we need people that can do that. We need people with a spine. We need people that will take their opinions and back it up with fact and experience. Yeah. When you cut them deep, you find out what they're made of, and they either come back out fighting or or they are, uh, you know, compliant, which can also be to our advantage. Um, or, or they buckle and you don't want that, but now no. you've got to figure out how to, how to make them strong. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, you played, played football and, and you always played harder for the coach that, that had expectations of you and pushed you, not the coach that really wants to teach math and is, is out there coaching whatever, you know, component they push you and they expect things from you and they'll come up and say, why did you go there? Why did you block this person? Why did you do that? And you had to defend yourself. Well, that's what the play is. And then, you know, if you buckle, they know that you don't truly know your game. And if you stand up for yourself, you know, hey, this is the play call and that's who I block, whatever the case may be, they're they're getting that reassurance. This is not much different than sports. No. So 
Um, I love that analogy and you're a hundred percent right. I'm thinking about my athletic career, you know, coming up through high school and college and playing those, you know, sports on both those levels. And yeah, you always pushed yourself harder to the coaches that pushed you harder. Absolutely. Yeah, man. And, and so we need managers to push our people. Yep. I don't think that's happening every day. No, it's not. Uh, one thing that we did this last year is, is we, uh, and I, you kind of see it happen. People settle in and, and, you know, you might get attitude from guys, um, and, and they may not want to train or do whatever. And then what we did last year is we did the structural collapse class and we invited all of our neighboring departments over into it just to mutual aid train with us. Well, I saw guys rise to the occasion and teach guys that, that mumble in the background and fade away during hands-on training came forth and taught and brought up all this knowledge and improved like, wow, this person did yeah, know the cool. stuff. They didn't just say they did it. They didn't just say they knew it, but man, now they're rising up and showing it and they're sharing it with others. And so that little concept um, spilled over into this year. We like last week we did five, five days of trench live trench. Um, and invited all our mutual aid companies in and they came and did trench different evolutions with us in a live trench. Um, this just, uh, just finished this weekend. Um, we did five days of big rig and we invited all our mutual aid companies. They came in, we did our own big rig hands-on refresher, one eight hour day, five days in a row. And, and in front of other agencies, these guys rise. It's cool. They had the opportunity to, to share their knowledge. They had the opportunity to be the teacher and and show them uh not just talk about it but show them how we're doing these things uh we had guys from 400 miles away came over because social media blew it up yeah buddy and and here's a free class it was just a you know one eight hour day five days in a row but people from 400 miles away came over that's so, awesome what does that do what does that do for you mike as a as a boss as the as the guy that's in charge of rescue training for the city of houston and you you because I have to think, like, as a manager, as a leader, as a boss, it's moments like that where you see your people perform. And I, I don't mean perform in a weird way. I mean, like, they are on and they are, go, you know what I'm saying? Like, above and beyond. And they're really showing you the value that they've learned, that they've, and, and they're just coming out and being able to do that as a manager. I mean, what is, what's that feeling for you? It's fulfilling, really. Yeah. Um, and, and, it, and it gives you a good perspective of where they are because we all have more to work on. And, and uh, you can see, you know, this person's developed a great deal since last year or since last time we did this. And um, it, it's almost like a, uh, like a show and tell day, you know, and, and you can see how, how they've developed. And are we working on the right stuff? And am, am, am I trying the the right material to to work with them and it's not it's not me teaching them necessarily and in some cases there's some things i can offer uh but it's it's almost like me testing them in a practice platform you know here here's a scenario turn them loose they run their show and i'll just throw tips hey i saw this that's one of the beauties of stepping back and that's where a lot of uh, officers uh, overseeing these things need to be and so you can see the bigger picture. You see a whole lot from back there. But 
seeing these things develop, um, it, it's just, oh, it's just rewarding. Yeah. Um, you know, it got to the point where, it, you know, I hurt, hurt every day. And, uh, and so this saves my body a little bit, but I still want to help. <laughs> I still want to be a part of it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, fulfillment, I think for me is so important. I've come to, and not just in a fire service, not just in the firehouse, but in life in general, I've come to realize that the most, that, that what we really need to be focusing on is happiness and fulfillment, right? I think when you're fulfilled, uh, you know, other things are just better for you. And I, I, I challenge people with that because I think a lot of people are not fulfilled in life. And I think they make a lot of compromise to the point where they're, they could become unhappy. And when I relate that back to the firehouse and then I think about bosses and I think about now at 40, I'm 45 years old and I'm much different of a firefighter and officer today than I was, you know, 20 years ago, right. Or, 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 you know, 10 years ago. And that just comes with time and experience and, and maturity and so on. But where I'm going with this, right, is that I think so many bosses today are don't get fulfillment from their crews because they're not taking that step back and allowing themselves to watch their people watch their people work, watch their people show off what they can do and do well. Yeah. Um I've, I've noticed that in some of our uh, higher profile uh, incidents where you know, our, our captains, our officers are wearing red helmets. And when you look at the sea of red helmets around the incident and all the, the other helmets are standing back out of the way, those officers don't trust you. And if they don't trust you, it's because they didn't train you. And, uh, and they're in there doing the work instead of supervising. And I wonder why it's like that. Um, now that's the only thing I can come up with is, you, you got all the officers hands on up front in the scene and their guys are standing back. And and, and that's, it happens everywhere. Yes. And I don't, I don't remember it always being like that. And I'm curious how we've gotten there. And I don't know, I, you know, and, and I'm not asking you to, you know, give me this whole dissertation on what your feelings are on that, but I am kind of curious because from a, a large you know, from a very large department like yours down to the smallest department in, in Main Street, USA, right? Like, I think our bosses today are not the leaders they once were. And I'm not saying that's not a blanket statement across the board. It's just a matter of allowing and endorsing your people to work and, and become a manager of that, right? Become yeah. somebody that works for your people, makes your people better, and then then let them perform. Let them do the work you've should have been teaching and showing and tutoring and mentoring them along the way. Now we have a, a tiny bit of a hang up on that. Um, our firefighters spend time on an ambulance. They rotate on the ambulance to the fire truck, the uh, to the pumper. Um, they're they're bouncing around a little bit. Yeah. So the officers don't have a consistency that some other departments might have where it's the same person behind them and they know what they're capable of and they can train on everything before, you know, those types of calls come up. Uh, We have such a mixed bag coming in and riding on the trucks behind people that, that I think they just can't trust everybody yet. You know, when you have a different face back there all the time, yeah, if the staffing's not good, you got fill-ins, you got, you know, guys on extra days. uh, When are you going to be able to trust them? You know, 
Yeah, and, and it's – go ahead, please. When, when you have a set crew and you can train them on the things, doing things the way you want done, and you can watch over them and you can gain that trust, now as an officer you can step back and let them do the work, and, and it will reflect on how well you did with them. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's such a big part of the equation is – Leaders, managers, bosses today, uh, they have to be confident in their own abilities and in putting forth a level of expectation that the rear-facing firefighter needs to deliver on. And, and when you don't give forth an accurate picture of what the expectations are and you don't or you're not confident in your own abilities, you don't have the ability then to manage that backstep firefighter because you're not confident in your own skills and abilities. Yeah. Yeah. It's something it's something we have to tackle in this in this industry. And I, I'm worried I'm worried that as time progresses and and uh and so on, I, I worry about what that looks like. And I think that over time it, it couldn't greatly affect the job and the delivery of services that uh that we offer. Yeah, I think that falls back on ego and when you think about that, hey, you know what, this for me to stay smarter than the guy I'm teaching. I'm going to hold back some information. Yeah. You're not doing any good. You're not doing him any good. And you're trying to protect your ego instead of giving him everything you got. And you know what? I think when people push the limits teaching and they reach their own limit, they they ought to swallow that pride and know that they need to work on themselves a little bit, you know? Oh, I get to that next level too. Brother, I could go. I could go off for just another hour on that topic alone. I mean, I I don't know, I don't know why the why we hold back from giving everything we can and more to the next guy, right? Isn't that what this job was based on years ago? Isn't that what what this is all about? Is bettering each other. And if I have a piece of information or experience that I've ex, that I've had, I'm not giving it away. Like the protection of that is is insane to me. That we're not willing to have a conversation and give it and put it all out there for everybody to have. It's just it's it's frustrating to me because uh, right. I see it all the time. I yep, see it all everywhere. the time. So, are you teaching at all, Mike? To, I mean, outside of Houston, do you do you get out at all? Do you do any um, you know conferences or do you do hands on anywhere? Uh, did the Joey D twice in in uh, New York yep. and uh, once in the Woodlands. I, I, I've done quite a bit with. Uh, Steve Sankodochi in the sure. uh, affordable drill towers. Um, I started my own company a while back uh, doing the same thing. Great. Um, and, you know, when I can, I do. Yeah, for sure. So what's what's next for you? What do you want to accomplish? How many, I mean, you got, what, 22 years in Houston. So you still got a few years left in you, I think, no? I hope so. Giddy up. I love that. You, yeah, absolutely. So what what's next for you? What do you want to do? I mean, do you you enjoy that position you're in now, being able to um, be a part of the equation of what the rescue services look like for Houston? Uh, absolutely. Um, as soon as I don't get decent feedback, uh, I'll, I'll know I need, I need to move on. <laughs> yeah, I'm letting them down. I don't want to let them down. So Yeah, yeah. Well, good for you, man. Well, I I have to tell you today, there were a few moments during this episode today that I sat back and just, uh, I just shut up. You know, I like, I like when that happens. You dropped a lot of great stuff today and, um, 
Thank you, man. I, I This was such a great conversation, and uh, I think you bring so much to the table. I've got to see you teach. I've seen you, uh, you know, I've seen you on the fire ground uh, for training, and I just, it's, uh, it's this quiet presence you have, but I think that you bring forth so much knowledge and, and wisdom to the game, and um, it's fun to watch that. One last little uh, word of wisdom there. Do it. All right. Fight fire on its level and turn that next corner. You know, what I mean by this is I've seen people squirting water down the hall, but that water doesn't turn that corner. And I've seen people squirt up into the next level, but not get up there with it. You have to get on its level. You have to turn the next corner. You have to get to it. And uh, I've seen a lot of that over the years while we're scoping things out on the inside and uh, wondering why. Uh, we got to push on. And I, I back to a football analogy, mm-hmm. this is like kickoff return. You know, that guy's got to read it, and he's got to dodge everybody. And if he makes it all the way and scores, gets to the seat of the fire and puts it out, well, the whole team doesn't have to get together and run play after play to get down that field and do the same thing. I think people slow play these fires, and, and they're hanging back, and they're squirting down towards areas that that don't actually reach the fire and they're wasting time and then that that gets them in trouble later on we need a faster response i love that that is that's awesome man i that is uh words good wisdom right there to be shared and um i think we need to do a better job at, at getting people access to real firefighting and giving them the experiences they need on a training aspect to be able to understand what it feels like to make that push and to make that push correctly. I I just don't think we give our people the right tools uh, when it comes to training oftentimes. And um, like you said before, and I think it's a great way to bring the conversation back around, but, but train in reality. Well, uh, I asked a lot of people at a lot of different fire academies, did their students put fire out? And and a lot of them don't. Well, I know. If they if they're using class A, they want to relight it. They want it. They want it to burn again, so you don't ever extinguish it. They want you to endure the heat and learn uh, how to deal with the visibility, but they don't. They don't teach you how to to extinguish the fire sometimes. And and I, I've I've come across people where we're in there and and uh, they're not opening the nozzle when really that was the best thing that at the time because they couldn't see the fire because they didn't know they were never trained there. So, um, it, it can be scary to, to give them just the, the academy level training and, and not drive home the importance of other aspects of getting that job done. Mike, I just saw it the other, uh, couple of weeks ago at a fire, uh, it was a young kid on the nozzle and we were mopping up, but there was still fire above us and stuff, hooking ceilings, walls, shit like that. And, and, uh, and I, I said to the kid, I said, open up open up the line and uh, opens it up, shuts it down. He hits it, shut down, hit it, shut down. And I'm like, no, bro, flow the line. Open, open the line. Flow water. I go, douche the wall. Douche this. Like, we're in here mopping up. Like, clean this thing up. But he didn't know any better. He was, you know what I'm saying? And, and like, Mm -hmm. that is the failure that we're teaching. Every day. We need more Mike O'Hare. That's what I'm saying. 
we need more of this talk and this message, and it needs to translate down to the people that need to listen to this, and we need to get reality-based training back, and, uh, and we, we need to stop worrying about, in your words, the what-ifs, and really focus on training in real life. And I think, uh, I think you are certainly instituting that and putting that forth as a priority in the city of Houston, Texas, brother, with your abilities to influence others with uh, being the training officer for the rescue companies. And, uh, Mike, I really enjoyed the conversation today with you, man. Um, truly, I really do. With your training company and what you have going on, uh, where is can people reach out to you? How do they get a hold of you if they want to chat with you about uh, maybe doing some training or so on? How can we help you? Sure. Um, RPMRescue.com. Awesome. It's, uh, it's, you know, kind of the pushing the limits, RPM, it, it, racing. I don't know why it's stuck in my head, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I like it. it's for uh, response performance management. Response. So. I'm writing it down. Response performance. If I can write performance management. So the the idea of this company was to bring on partners, you know, people that want to only do forcible entry stuff. Well, you run the forcible entry stuff. You're part owner now. Hey, you want to do fire extinguishers and first aid? Okay, you're you're now part owner. You know, move on that. I wanted to be a good co-op of people that loved their job. I like that. So that's that's where we're at. Good. Mike, thank you so much for joining me today, man, and taking an hour out of your day to just chat and uh, and talk about the job. I uh, thank you Thanks, very sir. much, and I appreciate you and your friendship, too. Um, today was just a, a great conversation, and uh, love to get you back another time because I know you got a lot more things that you'd love to, to hit on and we could talk about for hours. So uh, we'll get you back on another day. But, man, thank you for taking time out of your day today and uh, chat with me, man. I appreciate you. It was you. a pleasure. Yeah, See you good. in Texas soon, right? Yes, sir. March will be down there, if not before. So uh, looking okay. forward to that. Hang on one sec. Great. Don't go anywhere. Let me sign out of the podcast, and I'm going to come right back to you. Okay, Mike? Will do. Great, man. Thank you. Guys, thanks Thank for you. tuning in. Another great episode of the National Fire Radio podcast. Mike O'Hare, 22 years with the Houston Fire Department in Texas, 14 years in the rescue division, and now the rescue training officer. What a great episode. A lot of great nuggets that came out of that. We'll put the contact information in the narrative below. Mike O'Hare, again, what a great guest. Uh, A lot more to come. Stay tuned. Thank you for following. Share, like, subscribe. We appreciate all the support of the podcast. Um, We're very proud of the daily episodes that have been coming out, and uh, it's guys like Mike O'Hare that make this podcast worth the listen. They are rock stars, and they bring a lot to the game. Take what you heard today. Take it to the kitchen table tonight. Talk about it, because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.